the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
the ancient city of Pergamos was built on a thousand foot elevation hill overlooking two tributaries that came together, formed a river. It was a, a stunningly beautiful city. It was filled with culture, music, and also the worship of, of Zeus. I'm sorry, we're having some technical difficulties on our Weva studio. Pergamus was an ancient city of extreme beauty and culture, the arts, and there was there a magnificent, magnificent of, of white marble, a throne room. We think of the Jefferson Memorial, or we think of the Lincoln Memorial, these huge edifices that are so stunning. That's what this was. Pergamus was the center of worship at that point for Zeus. It was also a very powerful uh, seat of influence for Rome. It was recognized as the throne room of Zeus, who we know today as Satan. Jesus came to speak through the pastor to the church at Pergamum. He had some very specific things that he wanted to say to them. The church in Pergamum was a mixed bag. He came to them saying, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. Now, if you remember in past broadcasts, that double-edged sword that comes from the mouth of Jesus is the word, the word of God. Jesus was the word of God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Well, what is the definition of that word? It is logos in the Greek, and it means simply the idea behind the creation of anything that is in the physical realm. And if you look at Colossians, the first chapter, or Hebrews, the first chapter, or the Gospel of John, the first chapter, they all express the truth that Jesus is the creator of all things. Things seen and things not seen. Universe. He is the creator. It was his divine idea from which all things were created. So he is the word of God. But then Revelation 21, speaking about his, his glorious coming, 
and the conclusion of the whole matter. Evidence is that at the conclusion of the war between Satan and Jesus, Jesus will be the victor because he is God. Now, in the 19th chapter, listen, begin with verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his word is, his name is Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Now, just a few verses prior to that, in verse 18, we learn that fine linen, bright and clean, was given to the church the righteous to wear, and it stands for the righteous acts of God's saints. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike the nations down. In other words, this sword that is spoken of that comes out of the mouth of Jesus is both a judgment and a deliverance. Now, we find in the message to the church at Pergamum in chapter 2 of Revelation that the message to the church is introduced by him who has the sharp double-edged sword to bring deliverance or judgment. He says, I know where you live. Did you know that Jesus knows you. He knew you before you were knit together in your mother's womb. There are no surprises for him. The book of Matthew tells us that Jesus even has counted the hairs of your head. He knows you intimately, and he desires that you know him intimately. He knows where you live. We live in a prison planet of total surveillance by the almighty power of God. He even knows the innermost thoughts and secrets of your heart. There's nothing hidden from him. And he is going to make a judgment concerning your life with that sword. We learn in Hebrews, that that sword divides bone from marrow. In other words, it looks very carefully at the innermost part of your heart. He knows what you're thinking, and he knows what you're doing. He says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. That throne is no longer in Pergamum. 
Adolf Hitler had that throne taken apart piece by piece and reassembled in the great museum in Germany. The seat of Satan today, the throne of Satan today, is in Germany. Adolf Hitler was strongly influenced and controlled by demonic powers, by the occult. He says, Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Antipas was, we are told by church history, a physician. And he was accused of witnessing about Jesus Christ to his patients. He was brought up on charges before the medical tribunal. And he was sentenced to die. And church history tells us that he was placed alive in a copper bull and put on a fire and cooked alive. Now, Antipas is also sometimes spoken of as the first Christian martyr outside of the book of Acts where, of course, James was martyred, Stephen was martyred, and others that we don't know. But the Apostle Paul, when he was operating in his wickedness, had men and women executed. But Antipas was a powerful witness against the seat of the devil himself. Now, as I read this, my heart rises up in great trembling and fear for the modern church and especially for the pastors of the modern church. I have watched as the American authorities and the Western authorities have closed down their businesses men and women who invested everything they had in opening that business have now been forced into bankruptcy. The middle class is basically being destroyed. Many people are now on the verge of being foreclosed on because they lost their jobs and they've not been able to pay their rent or their mortgage. And so they're being foreclosed on. But what is so strange to me, and I don't understand it, perhaps I don't want to understand it, is why there has been no outcry on the part of America's pastors calling the church to fast and pray. Why pastors have rolled over and said, okay, we will obey the government's dictates not to meet as a church. Can you imagine the church in China rolling over and saying, okay, the Chinese government says we're not allowed to meet anymore for the good of the people. And so we're not going to meet. We're not going to hold church anymore. No, that's not what they did. 
they immediately moved to underground churches, to meeting in homes. And they would be arrested. Pastors have spent years in jail because they refused to obey the dictates of the government. In America, the churches became, in many places, the vax centers for, for a vax that was experimental, not approved by the FDA, against a pandemic that was non-existent. Oh, yes, people died of the flu. They do every year. But if you look at the statistics, there was no great uptick in deaths in America compared to any other year. It was, it was false. And one man who I would call a devout Christian said, well, Pastor Ray, you've got to shut your church down. Don't stand up against the rules. We've got to obey them. Romans 13 says we must obey those rules. You will become a laughingstock. Are you kidding me? The national prayer chapels continue to meet week by week by week. We're not going to stop meeting. Yes, we meet in a home. All the buildings were closed off. Church boards voted to close. Vestries closed. There's still some churches that are closed. Where is the courage of the church, like Antipas, to stand up and say, No, our first loyalty is to God Almighty. Our first loyalty is not to government. It's to Jesus. Countless numbers of people died under the Roman persecution because they would not simply say, Caesar is God. Burn a little incense on the altar and go about your life. They said, no, we will not do that. We are loyal to Jesus Christ. Look, America is a Judeo-Christian nation. Now, there are many in our nation who are not from the Judeo-Christian tradition, and that's okay. But the founding principles of America, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, they are an expression of the Judeo-Christian ethic. What has happened to the Christian church in America that it rolls over and denies Jesus and goes with what the government says must happen and the local authorities, they say, you can't meet. Okay, we won't meet. Wear a mask. Okay, we'll wear a mask. What? Against all the scientific evidence come to a desperate, desperate plight in the American Christian church where the church has turned into a marshmallow, cotton candy. It's a business. It's a culture. It's an institution. It's not a body of Christ where we stand with one another. And regardless of the persecution that comes to us, we are faithful and true followers of Jesus Christ. 
what will you say if you ever have an opportunity to speak to Antipas? Will you say to him, why did you witness for Jesus and, and risk your life? You died a horrible death. And he will say, yes, because I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And there is now laid up for me an eternal crown. And I will follow him. Jesus said, you did not renounce your faith in me. The American church has renounced its faith in Jesus Christ. We have become a pushover. We are well prepared for the mark of the beast. Do you think people will not receive the mark of the beast just as quickly as they received the vaccination or the mask? or the closing of their business, or the closing of their church, we have become passive, unwilling to stand up for what we believe because we have so compromised our lives. But we're afraid to stand up for Jesus Christ and say, no, it might interfere with my lifestyle with my plans oh my brother my sister how do you get a backbone after you've lost it by fasting and prayer and the reading of the word he says this is Jesus speaking in verse 14, Romans 2, verse 14. Nevertheless, he's saying, nevertheless, I know you've stood and I know you've been faithful before Jesus. You've been faithful before me. Antipas even laid his life down for me. I know all of that. But then he says, I have a few things against you. Does God have anything against you today? Do you recognize how you have compromised yourself with the devil, with the throne of Satan? Do you recognize how you've just gone along because you didn't want any conflict? How you have stayed home from church and watched on the Internet? The word says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, and even the more as the end of time comes upon us. It doesn't say go home and watch the internet. I'm afraid for you if you did that. I'm afraid for what's happening in your heart as you compromise with darkness, as you roll over and do not stand up. If Americans had stood up, if church pastors had stood up and said, You've opened Walmart, you've opened Costco, you've opened, in my area, the bars, you've opened the, you've opened other businesses, but now you're saying the church has to be closed? If pastors had stood up and said, no, you can't put us all in prison, the government authorities would have backed off. 
if people had said, no, we are not going to close our businesses. We are not going to shut down. We are going to trust in the name of Almighty God. The government would have backed off, but instead we have traded our freedoms for tyranny. Because somewhere we lost our will to be free. It will not be easy to recapture. And that freedom is found in the Judeo-Christian ethic. It is found in the teachings of Jesus Christ. It is found in the hearts of men and women who will not compromise with darkness or Marxism or wokeness or Black Lives Matter or Antifa. We will not compromise with canceling the police. We will not compromise with those who would cancel anyone who disagrees with them, but rather stand up and say, enough is enough. I am free in Jesus, and I will worship him, and I will obey him. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaeans, now, both the Nicolaeans and in the church today, we have strong Gnostic themes that have wound their way into the teachings of the Christian faith. The epistle of 1 John is a polemic against Gnosticism or Nicolaism. It is a polemic against the teachings of Balaam. And the only answer is, repent. But I'd like to take a few minutes and take you back to the story of Balaam. What exactly is the teaching of Balaam? Just to review the story quickly. As the children of Israel came out of the wilderness, over a million men, women, and children with a huge army, 600,000 soldiers. As they came out of that wilderness to the plains of Moab and they camped there beside the Jordan River preparing to go and take Jericho, Balak, the king of Moab, sent for Balaam. And they took with them the fee of divination, which was very high. And they asked him to come and put a curse on these Israelites. He was terrified that they would come and consume Moab. And he was right to be consumed. 
They were a wicked, wicked people. So Balaam answers, I'll go spend the night and I will ask the Lord if I should come. Now, what we find in Balaam is a mixed message of paganism, divination is occultism, and a follower of the Lord God of heaven. The teaching of Balaam is a compromised teaching of darkness and light, very similar to what we find in the church today. The teaching of Balaam can be summarized in, we will use God to accomplish what we desire to accomplish. We will find a way to use him, to twist him, to make happen what we desire to have happen, that which will in, enrich us, that will make us prosperous. So Balaam does go to God, and God speaks to Balaam, and he says, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. So Balak got up the next morning and he told the princes of Moab that God would not allow him to go with them. So when Balak gets this message, he quickly sends more money and more influential princes and says, please come, we will pay you anything you want. Just come and put a curse on them. Now, Balak is already trying in any way he can to seduce Balaam with money. And Balaam wants that money. So he comes back to God. He's had a very clear message. Do not go with them. But he comes back to God and he, he begs, can I go? And so God answers. He says, go. Go with them. But only say what I give you to say. But then we find in verse 22 that God is very angry with Balaam because he's choosing to go. I've learned something about God. When you're clear that you should not do something, that you should not go somewhere, that you should not buy something. If you persist, he will let you do it. I've experienced that on a number of occasions where I have wanted very much to do something and so I have pushed until finally God said, you're going to do it, go ahead and do it. At the end of time, we're told that God is going to send a delusion upon the people of the earth. And in that delusion, they will take the mark of the beast. In other words, God will only say no so long. And then he says, okay, if that's what you really want, go ahead. But I'm still going to maintain some control over what you're doing. But you are going to crash and burn. So he takes his donkey with two of his servants, and they make their way 
to the king of Moab. And as he's going, the, the donkey looks up and he sees the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword, the sword of his mouth, the sword of judgment. And the donkey is wise enough to turn off the road into a field. And Balaam promptly beats his donkey to force her back on the road. Well, again the donkey looks and he sees the angel of the Lord standing in a narrow path between two vineyards with walls on both sides. And the donkey sees the angel of the Lord and she pushes against the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it in a hurt. So he beat his donkey again. And the angel of the Lord moves on ahead and stands in a narrow place where there's no room to turn either to the left or the right. And the donkey again sees the angel of the Lord. And she simply lay down under Balaam. Balaam is livid. He wants his plan to work no matter what. And so he, with his rod, Mr. Producer. Hello, Mr. Producer. Are you there? Okay, can you turn it off, though, so it doesn't go again? Thank you. I'm sorry for these interruptions today, but we can look past them. Balaam again begins to beat his donkey with his rod, with his staff. And then the Lord opens the donkey's mouth. And she says to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me three times? And Balaam now answers the donkey. You have to ask, who's the donkey? You've made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. And the donkey says to Balaam, you've made a, a mistake. Am I not your own donkey, which you've always ridden? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then finally, Balaam's eyes are opened, and he sees the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword. And he bows down, fell out on his face. And the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come here to oppose your path because it's a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away these three times. If she had not turned away, I would have killed you by now, but I would have spared her. Oh, what I want you to see is it is a dangerous thing to begin to oppose the God of heaven. He is real. And that sword in his mouth can take you out. Balaam answers, I have sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now if you're displeased, I'll go back. There's no real repentance. He said, I sinned, but he didn't repent. He should have been on his donkey, headed for home immediately, quickly. That would have been real repentance. But he didn't. 
He's determined he is going to go on with his plan. So Balaam went on and met with the prince and the king of Moab. And the king of Moab rebukes him. Didn't I send for you an urgent summons? Why didn't you come to me? Am I really not able to reward you? And Balaam answers, I must speak only the word God gives me. He now knows he cannot please the king of Balaam or the king of Moab. Balaam has to figure out another way to twist the word of God that he could have the desires of his heart met. So they prepare seven altars, and on each altar he offers a bull and a ram, a very expensive proposition. And each time, he speaks a message of blessing and not curse. And Balak is angry. I summoned you to curse my enemies, but you have blessed them three times. Now leave at once and go home. I said I would reward you handsomely, but the Lord has kept you from being rewarded. Well, if Balaam had simply gone home and repented, the Lord might have dealt kindly with him. But instead, he went with the Moabites and he said to the king, let me show you how you can bring a curse on these people. Send your women to seduce the men to come and worship Baal. And that's what he did. And the Lord's anger burned against the children of Israel for compromising with the darkness. I want to tell you something very soberly today, but with kindness. The anger of God is stirred up against the American church because the American church has not stood up for righteousness. We have compromised to such an extent that the world cannot tell the difference between the church and themselves. We are looked upon with scorn as a business, an institution, an entertainment center. We are not respected by the pagans of our day. And we have, we have caused the Lord's anger to burn against us because we have not been willing to stand up for righteousness or for freedom. So the Lord directed Moses to take all the leaders of the people who participated in this seduction by Moab and execute them. Now when the Lord's anger burns against us, somebody's going to die. A plague broke out among the children of Israel as a judgment from God 24,000 people died 
because of their sin against Almighty God. I'm so heartbroken as I read that. Because I know judgment is going to come upon the American church. God knows where we live. He knows what we have done. He knows how we have mixed the message of Balaam with the gospel message. He knows the Gnosticism that we have stepped into as we have been taught by the most prominent pastors in America. That you can never leave your sin. That you are always going to be a sinner that you can never walk in righteousness, that the blood of Jesus Christ is no more valuable than the blood of bulls and goats in the Old Covenant, and that the blood of Jesus only covers your sin but does not remove your sin. We have bought into the lie, and at the heart of that lie against the blood of Jesus Christ is the compromise that we see on every hand with the powers of darkness because the church has lost its ability to stand up for freedom and for justice and for righteousness. We have become a marshmallow church without a backbone. And pastors stand before their congregations and tickle their ears with pleasant little messages of how you can make money how you can have strategies for success, how God loves you even in the midst of your sin, that you're saved, you're on your way to heaven, even though you have not lived your life in accordance with the word of God. You have compromised yourself in every respect with the world, the flesh, and the devil. But don't worry, you're saved. You have eternal security as one very prominent old pastor said, go to church and have fun and don't worry about sin. We're all sinners and we're going to sin until we die and then we'll be made righteous. That old man reminds me of, of Balaam. And we have been compromised and we now see famine coming upon America. There is going to be a tremendous shortage of food if you have not put aside water and food in your home you are headed for a very difficult time if you have no means to defend your home if you have no means to provide food if you have no means to pay your mortgage and your rent you have no savings you've spent everything you have on your luxuries on your lifestyle The judgments of God are against the church. And many churches are going to be foreclosed on and closed and are even currently being foreclosed on because of the judgment of God in his anger at the American church. He is the God, remember, who has a sword coming out of his mouth, both for justice and for deliverance. And if there is not a great turning to the Lord in repentance in the American church, we are going to see destruction in America, unparalleled in our day. 
were in the day of our forefathers. We're in trouble, church. And if you are not a part of a church, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, you are also in trouble. Because the judgments of God in weather, hurricanes, tornadoes, flooding, drought, the destruction of our farmland, the West turning into another dust bowl, We're in trouble. He says, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with a sword of my mouth. That is to people in the church. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. Well, what is the hidden manna? The hidden manna is the wonderful gift of the body of Jesus Christ spoken of in in John, the sixth chapter. He said, my body is real food and my blood is real drink. Now, he's not speaking of cannibalism. He's speaking spiritually. God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And the outward manifestation of their life will reveal the inward reality of God and of Jesus And we will sacrifice everything to serve him. He says, I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, only known to him who receives it. Well, what is this white stone business? We're not really sure. But at that point in history, in Roman games, those who won, who overcame, were given a white stone. And that was their ticket to get into the awards banquet. That white stone is the ticket to get into the wedding supper of the Lamb. Jesus is saying, if you will overcome, if you will turn from your cowardice, if you will turn from your way of being like the world, and if you will stand up for truth and justice, and not bow your head to tyranny and turn away from Jesus. If you will be an Antipas, if you will stand for the gospel truth, then you will be given that food, that manna, that the world does not know about. I have great pity in my heart for a man or woman who loses their spouse or their children and they have no hope of ever seeing them again because they do not know Jesus Christ. But I know Jesus. And if you know Jesus and you are faithful to him and you stand up for righteousness and you speak up and you act out, your faith in Jesus Christ, and you don't whimper, you don't cop out, you don't bend for the powers of darkness, then you too will receive the manna to eat and you will receive that white stone that will give you victory. 
that will give you entrance into the kingdom of heaven because Jesus is coming again soon. Every sign says the Lord's coming is very imminent. I praise God. I'm tired of the tyranny of this world. I'm tired of the compromise. I'm tired of the cowardice. It's time to fast and pray. It's time to cry out to Almighty God. It's time to take responsibility for our families and ourselves. And to no longer compromise with the powers of darkness. I do not look to the government for deliverance. I look to Jesus. I don't look to the government to feed me. I look to Jesus. My grandpa was a builder of homes. He built three houses. He had deposits on those three houses. And then came the great destruction of our economy in 1929. Grandpa who had down payments on those houses, lost all three houses. He lost his business. He had to declare bankruptcy. What did he do? Did he go in his house and sit down and wait for the government to send him a check? No, he was able to save one truck out of that mess. And he recognized that the ranchers over on the eastern hills outside of Laramie, outside of Bosler, where he lived, they needed supplies. And so he would go to those ranchers and take orders, and then he would drive to Cheyenne. He would drive up the Cheyenne Mountain. Today it's a four-lane highway. Then it was just a narrow path, two lanes, two where the tires went up that A very dangerous trip with an old truck that might run away. I could tell you incredible stories of deliverance from Grandpa. And they lived through the Great Depression by serving other people with that one lone truck that he kept on the road. It's that spirit of independence. It's that spirit of, I'm going to do what God has given me. I'm not going to sit back and wait for somebody to give me money. I'm going to go and use what I have. I'm going to prepare myself and my family for the future. Does God have something against you today? Have you compromised? Have you made way for darkness? Or have you stood up for righteousness and freedom and justice? I'm an American, but I'm first a Christian. I'm loyal to the American government, but I'm first loyal to Jesus Christ. And if there comes a separation, I will be loyal to Jesus Christ. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress today. I'm glad you've been here. Let me just quickly report for you. We're coming to the end of June, and we are still somewhere in the neighborhood of $2,000 short having the money to cover this radio broadcast. 
for the month of June. I'm very grateful that May was completely covered and we're not in debt. But at the end of this month, we will owe another month's radio bill. Thank you, those of you who give so consistently each month, who care about the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you help cover the cost of these $2,000 that yet remain? We're about halfway there. Would you help cover the cost? You can give by writing to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, our address, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go directly to our webpage, and thank you for many who have done this. You can give online at the very top of our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You'll see a donate button. Click on the donate button, and you can give online. I am honored to come and speak the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. Tomorrow we're going to deal with the next church, Thyatira. Why don't you read ahead and see what the church at Thyatira had, and we'll study it together tomorrow. I love you, brothers and sisters. I have spoken honestly and very straight to you today. If you need to repent, please repent. I'm praying for you, and I love you with all my heart. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. If you owe back tax.